No, we were trying to we were trying to ascertain what year you were born. Nineteen eighty nine. So yeah, we made a joke about nineteen. It was a thing from nineteen eighty eight, and I was like, "Ferber wasn't even born yet, or whatever." Nineteen eighty seven, I guess, was the joke. Sorry. And this pen remember. is older than you, dude. <laughs> That's, mm-hmm. That's crazy. There's lots of things older than him, like all of us. Welcome, everyone, to the CapsCorner.com podcast, CapsCorner.com, your source for Virginia sports. Hi, I'm Brad Franklin, publisher of CapsCorner.com, coming to you live from the place of Franklin Estates in the west end of Richmond, where it is Wednesday, September the 14th, Virginia coming off of a very frustrating and disappointing 24-3 loss at Illinois. Cavaliers will be back in Charlottesville this weekend, 2 o'clock p.m., uh, to host Old Dominion in a game that the ACC Network will televise, and we will discuss here momentarily we have lots to get through tonight let's go around and introduce everybody first in fishersville uh board moderator du jour david spence is on the show how's it going my friend you know considering the football season is over it's going pretty well <laughs> who Dave's on the board at who Dave's on twitter uh, that was also the cleanest i've ever done your intro since you became like full-time yeah. staff dave I was, I'm, I'm kind of impressed myself right now i'm having a day all right in uh charlottesville uh, editor-in-chief justin ferber is also on the program how's it going my dude Trying to win my one-on-one matchups. You know me. Actually, two-on-one, I guess, in this Fair. podcast forum. But Fair. I'm just underscore Ferber on Twitter. Um, Cavs Corner also on Twitter. Cavs underscore Corner. Great place for the in-game updates, the content items, and the occasional witty banter. Um, has anybody ever podcasted on their birthday before? Have we done this before? I can't remember. Is this the we first time? We did on your birthday at the Final Four. Oh, that's right. We did. Okay. We sure well, did. I, yeah, I guess so. We, just yeah. the two of forget, us. I, wait, how did I forget that? You, you would think that would be it five times. No, I I mean, I just I remember. But I'm saying like sitting here tonight. How did I forget that? Anyway, tonight is Justin's uh, birthday. We are uh, very thankful that he chose to spend his evening <laughs> podcasting or literally nothing know. better to do on a Wednesday <laughs> night. Um, all right. Speaking of nothing better, um, let's talk about that Illinois game. <sighs> Woof. Um, that's, that's like, all right. And moving on and moving on. No, I mean, unfortunately, like part of the job, right. Is that we have to talk about it. 24 to three, the Cavaliers looked listless offensively. Um, 222 yards of total offense, 180 through the air, 42 on the ground. Um, a whopping, uh, what, uh, 3.4 yards per play. Um, one for 16 on third down, one for four on fourth down. Um, Gave up five sacks. Um, even though they turned, as, this is the part that blows my mind. Even though they turned Illinois over several times, right? Four times. Four, right? four times. They Illinois still had a seven minute advantage in time of possession. Now I realize we this is the year of our Lord, twenty twenty two, and that's not necessarily the stat that it used to be, but that's still a lot um, when you turn somebody over four times. Um, Brennan Armstrong, 13 to 32 for 180 yards, two picks, had a quarterback rating of 75.4, completion percentage at 41. 
just a rough day at the office, as Tony Elliott said when he came uh, to the podium after. Um, it's been, you know, not not a week, but several days now that we've had to process um, whatever that was. Um, I, I'm, I, I think the best way for me to describe my feelings on it is, um, this is, this has the potential to be either, uh, a harbinger of doom or, um, a real teachable moment. And unfortunately it's like Schrodinger's, you know, bad game on the road, right? You're not going to know what it is until much later. Uh, Dave, in the days since then, I think you said you watched the, first quarter <laughs> and that was all you could stomach i don't know if you finished the rewatch or not yeah i finished but how how how, how do you feel several days after um the uh catastrophe in champagne i mean look the offense was bad it just was um and it, you know if you go back and watch the game that you can see what they did wrong i mean it wasn't like oh they're incompetent they they just got beat at basically every position all day long um which is unusual, you know, for, you know, because of what we saw as Virginia fans last year watching the offense. Um, but, you know, it, it was a lot easier to stomach on the rewatch because you realize, like, even anytime the offense got a little momentum, they got a penalty or the ball was snapped over their head. Um, and then by the time the, you know, after the, after Billy's uh, fumble and, you know, at that point, Virginia's going to get the ball for, what, the third or fourth time up, you know, having not allowed Illinois to, to do anything um, offensively. And all of a sudden, Illinois is up seven to three and, you know, a little while later up up bigger. And then once the, you know, once Illinois got up a couple scores, it that's when the offense seemed to be kind of pressing. You know, Brendan started trying to make big plays instead of taking what was there underneath when it was there. Um you know, some of that I think was him, you know, maybe him just getting frustrated and wanting to make a big play. But a lot of it was just him not, you know, not being comfortable because Illinois was in his face all day. Um, I was a, a little taken aback going back and watching it. Um, I mean, it's pretty clear to me, and you guys, if you felt differently, feel free to jump in. But I felt like the offensive scheme was we're going to stay four wide a lot because we think our five men up front can handle their five men and that'll open up holes for our running game and passing game. Um, and we'll be able to move the ball. And when that didn't happen, the first few drives, you know, you don't need to abandon it there, but it continued to not happen. Um, and by the time they started incorporating a little more H back, a little more tight end, you know, at that point, the offensive line was just befuddled and Illinois was just pinning their ears back. So, yeah, it, it was hard to watch just because of last year's offense. Um, but I will say on the rewatch, I was a little less like, oh, my God, this offense is terrible than I was watching it live just because at that point you understood what was happening and you could analyze it a little more. Um, so, yeah, hopefully just a hiccup. Um, I don't think it's a throw out the scheme kind of thing. Um, it's just simple as it sounds. It's, it's execution and, and adjustment. I think, you know, the coaches have – probably recognize they didn't adjust quick enough um and heck it's hard to adjust when you're going three and out like multiple possessions after multiple possessions um and like i said having some success and then getting shot in the foot by false starts or holding so just was a mess offensively um but i don't think it's time to 
scrap the scrap the uh, the offense and start over. That's an interesting point about <clears throat> you know they sort of thought they were going to win the matchups and then you know it took them a while to 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 adjust and I feel like we should have like maybe in a, in a few minutes have a little larger discussion sort of about I, I feel like we ran a lot of stuff about kind of what Tony has done in the past. And I'm just curious, and again, we're going to get to this in a few minutes, but I just I, I'm curious to get y'all's opinions on what you see versus what we, you know, what we can maybe thought it would look like. Because what I, this is something that struck me the other day, is like if you if you just made a move around a little bit pre-snap, it would almost look like the same offense to me in a, in a variety of different ways. Like a lot of the stuff just it just feels the same. I don't see them doing the kind of like stuff with an H back that I kind of thought they would, but bigger than that, you know, the idea that they were, they were so focused on the matchups that they thought they could win. Um, it makes sense that they would sort of stick with that a while to see, okay, can we, can we make this work? Um, Cause to your point, Dave, like they just, they did sort of seem like they were making a lot of mistakes. The thing that bugs me is though, is that Brennan was off from the start. Um, he just was never comfortable. And and I understand from the standpoint of like, okay, the offensive line is not what the offensive line was, but I just thought he was, you know, beyond beyond just, you know, hurried or whatever. I mean, his mechanics were bad. He never really could seem to set his feet. Um, even the plays when he was moving, he didn't look he didn't look like himself. So I'm not sure if that's as much a product of not trusting the the offensive line or if that's a product of, you know, kind of taking that bump last week and maybe not feeling a hundred percent. Um, you know, I, I'm not, I'm not a doctor on, you know, hashtag analysis, but it just felt like to me, he just never, he was never right. And, and Tony said as much, right. You know, he's moving to the pocket too much. He's throwing off his back foot, um, had wide open guys, you know, just was feeling pressure never got settled. Couldn't go through his progressions. Um, it just felt like forever throughout the entire offense, every at every level, it just was bad, right? Quarterback play was bad. Offensive line play was bad. Wide receivers weren't getting separation. Um, it was, you know, they weren't able to get any sort of running game going. It was just, it, it was, it was a flop of a performance. And Dave is clearly in the camp right now, at least of, all right, maybe it's not time to scrap it. As you look ahead, um, what what lesson do you take from from that game offensively? Um, do you think? Do you agree with the staff in the sense that they think that it, what what the, what they what the mistakes were are fixable? I kind of had a similar progression through this that Dave did, where like live, I was like, "What are they doing? Like, what is the what are they trying to accomplish out here?" Um, given the offensive line issues, um, on the rewatch, I wouldn't say that I completely went away from that thought, but there was certainly a little bit more ownership on the players than I thought watching live. Um, like the receivers, you talked about Brennan being off. They just, like, I don't know what they were doing in some of their one-on-one matchups. It just felt like they just didn't, um, and I'll get to, like, the coaches part of this in a second, but it just felt like they thought they could just get by them, and then, like, they were, like, surprised that, like, Illinois was better or something like that. I don't know. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it was a, it was an interesting rewatch, just kind of trying to focus on those things, and it's – with the benefit of having a coach tell you basically after the game, what he felt like was off, you're kind of looking for those things. And I did see some of what he was saying. I wouldn't scrap the offense either. I mean, you just can't, but the thing is you have to, they have to 
adjust better in game. And, and also I think the, this, this game, like you mentioned, has the opportunity to do one of two things. It's either a sign of bad things to come and it kind of wrecks confidence, or it can be something where it's like, Hey, we, you know, we're not going to be able to do what we thought we were going to be able to do. We need to kind of like throw some change ups in there. And it doesn't mean you completely scrap what you're doing, but you got to like be able to be agile. Um, That's what football is about. And you know, I didn't see a lot of like adjustments and that was kind of mm-hmm. my biggest concern was like, you know, this clearly wasn't working in the first half. Like in the second half, try to get the ball into space quicker. Like try to get the ball out, get out of the pocket, whatever you need to do, let Brennan run more. I know that they were a little hesitant about that. And and the previous staff was the same way at times, but like you got to keep a defense honest or you're just going to like, you're going to have a healthy quarterback that goes 13 for 32. Um, you know, and it's, and, and that's not going to work, but yeah, I think there's a lot of ownership to go around here with this. And I think it's a learning experience for the coaches, probably for the players as well. And, um, I think basically, you know, my takeaway from this was, um, and there, I'm not trying to say like the players didn't do anything wrong or anything like that, but like, I think UVA had a game plan, which was, they're going to bring some pressure. We're going to have our guys on the edge, kind of like Dave said, um, we'll be able to run the ball a little bit, but like, we're going to be able to go out and, you know, like make plays down the field. And that's what I said they should do before the game. I was like, they should probably be a pass heavy team against Illinois. The problem is Illinois game plan was we're going to bring five and we're going to dare them to beat us in man, because we don't think they're going to be able to block us. And Illinois, Illinois coaches were right. And UVA's coaches were wrong. Like basically that's, that's how it played out um, about yeah. the blocking. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, if you're going to be a down the field throwing team, like you have to do something to, to mitigate pressure and they didn't do that right away. But, um, you know, I, I did a radio spot earlier and I was kind of like, we won't really know what this is until they play another game or two. Like, I know there's a lot of skies falling attitude out there and, and I understand it. I mean, a three point effort where you have like less than 10 yards in two different quarters is like abysmal it's not just like hey they went out and lost and didn't play that good it's that's a horrible performance um and it's got to get better uh we're going to find out really quickly if this staff can put this behind them and kind of game plan for odu and the players can adjust as well and like listen to what they're being told um or if this is just who they are and they're going to have to figure out something completely different because it's just not going to work it's too early to tell um And we don't really know exactly what Illinois is either, in fairness. Like, they could be better on defense than I thought they were, um, and certainly better than they were last year. But Illinois' game plan was pretty much the same last year as it was this year. This year, uh, UVA just can't couldn't protect long enough, and yeah. it showed. Right. Yeah. I mean, I, I want to say, I do think they made some adjustments. Um, they just didn't work, right? Like, you know, if you go back and watch the draws, if you go three and out, like, you know, some of the draws, they would go pass, 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 then they come out and run it a couple of times, you know, tried a little bit formational stuff. But I think it was nine of the third downs were third and 10 or longer. Mm-hmm. Like, that is bad. Yeah. Um, and so, I, I mean, I agree they should have made adjustments, but they did make some. I don't know. I mean, what was interesting to me is when they did start um, trying to bring, you know, getting the slot more involved and they brought mission, you know, they had, they had Sackett wood in quite a bit, but they were using him as a big wide receiver. He wasn't lined up close to the line. Um, but when they started bringing guys closer to the line of scrimmage, Illinois just started bringing a blitzer. Um, and then certainly with the second half, they, they blitzed more than they did earlier in the game. They brought six more than they brought five. Um, 
but yeah, it just, it, it just seemed like they were shell shocked to me. Um, it, coaches, staff, I mean, staff and players. Um, now look, the players are human, right? Like almost everyone on that offense, you know, before 11, 15 or 11, 30 local Tom last year, they had put up 14 points and were driving again. Um, so, I mean, it's just human nature to think, oh, this is just easy if we do our thing. And maybe this is a wake-up call for him. But, yeah, if we won't know until we play, play the next few games, I'm just willing to give him the benefit of the doubt because I've seen the offense do things. And, mm-hmm. look, I don't think <laughs> – the scheme is not so different from what they did last year. Um, yeah, I think that's a good point. It's not like they're like – they were in running like the triple and now they're throwing. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah, exactly. And it's, and, um, and, and football routes aren't that different. Like they're all kind of the same. It's just how they're combined. Like, yeah. And right. it's, it's not it, like they're know, running Lavelle Davis from the backfield. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like if there's one thing that's not a part of this offense, it's a lot of pre-snap motion, right? It's not a lot of formation changes. You know, sometimes you'll get the, the tailback will switch sides. If there's an H back, they'll, they might rotate to another side. You might get a slot coming in motion, like a jet sweep but you don't see dramatic motion stuff like you did in last year's version of Virginia's offense. But Illinois is playing man every play. You didn't need the motion to know where they're going to be, right? So, I mean, I think that there'll be games where that's a bigger issue than they were Saturday. Um, but, uh, you know, it's just it's just weird, I think, as Virginia fans, outside of that Notre Dame game and, what, two quarters of the game against Tech last year, the offense was humming, um, and they were not in Champaign. Urbana, wherever it is. Yeah. I, I, I feel like a couple things. One, you know, it, this definitely had like a, you know, um, just like Novocaine, give it time and it'll work sort of vibe, right? Um, except I thought that one of the things that sort of confused me was that everything looked so off, you know? And Tony yeah, and they, you know, it's like they tried all these different things and it didn't even like accidentally work one of the right, times. Right, exactly. Like, <laughs> yeah, 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 right. And it was like, if you think about like all the things that can go wrong, right? Oh, man, it was like they were trying to check every box, right? Because it was not just like, oh, dudes weren't, you know, wide receivers weren't getting separation or, oh, the quarterback play was weird or, oh, the offensive line was like a turnstile or, oh, there were penalties. It was like all of it. And, you know, on some level, you know, you sort of make your own luck. Right. And it just, it, it, and, I, and I get really frustrated. People are like, oh, that's, you know, it's just, no, it's not luck. Like, you're either good or you're not. You're either consistent or you're not. And what was frustrating for me watching the game was knowing, knowing that they had, um, you know, knowing that they had more that they could do. This was not even like, they weren't even close. Right. You're not talking about like, oh, you know, they scored 14. 21 points when they could have put up 35 or 42 or whatever, right? Like, no, no. Like, they weren't anywhere close to what they needed to be. Um, and look, I understand that there's a psychological aspect of this, right? You rolled this team last year. Last year, you could do anything you wanted offensively most of the time. Um, I'm kind of hoping, and maybe this is, you know, just the, um, the orange and blue glasses, and, you know, it, or as, you know, some would call wish casting, right? But the idea that, that this will be a little bit of actually a good thing for them. Like, okay, it's not as automatic as it was last year um, for whatever reason. I mean, obviously the offensive line and the lack of experience up front and needing to sort of rebuild that entire unit. Um, you know, like I said in my column, like I think, I think it's, it's very clear that that is going to be a much bigger deal. Now, granted, maybe they come out Saturday and things are, more normal right 
Um, you know, Brennan is, is more confident, whatever. Tony mentioned that they had a bad practice going into this. And, um, you know, I'm not sure what went into that, but it sounds, it sounds like something that at least gives them something they can work on. Um, but the bottom line is, and I I do want to have this conversation now. I expected to see more of the film, the kind of stuff that we, we featured in the film room. Tell me if I'm wrong in that I have not seen much of that. Am I wrong about that, Ferber? Like, Dave, you chime in too. Like, am I wrong to think that, like, what we were sort of expecting it to be is not quite what it's been? Because I just don't – is that a – maybe it's a personnel thing. Maybe they don't feel like they have the, the right guy at the H or whatever. But I just don't see them using that as the chess piece that I expected them to use. And I can see – Well, they, yeah, they don't have that guy. Yeah, and I, and I can see that, like, they're struggling to figure out how they're supposed to use Keton, right? Like, they have Keton and Billy listed is like an or. Right. So they see them sort of in a similar light. Whereas I think, you know, you could move Keaton around and do some different stuff with him that, you know, you probably can do with Billy, but you probably you're probably happier to have him sort of stay in the slot. I just I, I guess for me and I, and I do want to get y'all's opinions here, like as I'm watching things and as you know, I rewatch like for me, I, I just don't see them doing the kind of thing that I expect them to do. And I can understand if you're Brennan or if you're, you know, other parts of the offense, too. Right. When you when you had those pre snap movements, the way the defense moved thereafter showed you something, right? And I feel like maybe that lack of information, the the little bit of feedback, so to speak, that they're not getting, is messing with them because it definitely looked to me like the wide receivers and the quarterback were not on the same page a lot. Uh, Dave, let's go back to you. What do you do you what do you think of of the idea that the the offense is not quite what we expected, or is this essentially what you thought you would get this year? I mean, it's a scaled down version of what I expected. Um, they just haven't. It's like they're just early in learning the playbook. Um, I mean, <laughs> we've talked about it before. But I think Ferber and I both went down hours of you know of rabbit hole watching Chad Morris's stuff, and it kind of stacks as you go. Um, and it seems like, and this is just my opinion, and probably completely wrong, but it seems like if there's let's say, you know, a hundred pages in the playbook. You know, in the Chad Morris system, probably the last 50 are stacked on you being able to do the first 50 really well so we can vary it a little bit. And it feels like right now the offense has the first 50 in place, you know, the first half of the playbook in place. Um, and maybe they're just not having the sustained success to kind of go to that next phase or the coaches are wanting them to get better at that first part so that that's, you know, that's something they can go get every play when they need it. And then they'll add on the, the dressing. But if there is one difference, I would say, you know, the H-back, as you mentioned, they used, you know, early in the game against Richmond, I thought you saw Mish being used quite a bit, and then he had that drop, and he really hasn't played that much since. You know, he's gotten some snaps, but he hasn't gotten a whole lot of action since then. Um, you know, I wrote in that piece today, like, you know, Jelani Woods, like that type of player against what Illinois was doing, changes the equation a lot. I agree, because, yeah. You, you know, Illinois – when you got a five man front like that and you're playing man against everyone else, they were just keeping a free safety, you know, 20 yards down the field. That's the guy that Jelani was attacking last year. Cause it made, so if, if you went to try to help, someone went to try to help on Jelani, then you had no safety over top of receiver. And without that threat down the middle of the field, Illinois is definitely able to keep it back. But I would say if there's other than the H back, there's one thing I'm seeing that I didn't see a lot of. And then Morris is kind of that, outside stretch outside zone um 
Morris's offense is more of an inside zone. I think that's what Des brought. I don't think it really affects how the offense works. It's still just part of the run game, but I think it will kind of affect how you integrate some of the motion stuff that you do see in, in that style of offense. So it's just early. I mean, it, it's a, that offense is com- complex, you know, um, if you think of Clemson when Trevor Lawrence was there, you know, essentially it was the same system, but they, every year they just kind of stacked on it, you know? So um, obviously Brennan a little more seasoned than Trevor was as a first year in that system, but it just kind of feels where they are. And then look, it doesn't matter what system is it, what system you're running. If if the quarterback <laughs> doesn't have confidence in the offensive line to keep him, you know, to, to allow him to scan the field, it's going to mess things up. What do you think, Ferber? Yeah, I think, it, I mean, there's certainly some similarity, but yeah, not as much. The, the H-back stuff, I think, is like, that can be a, definitely like a chess piece that you can use, but really, I mean, that's more necessary in the run game just because you can use it as a kind of lead blocker or like a diversion blocker, different things like that, and they're not running the ball that much. So, um, and I'm not saying that they should be, but yeah, I mean, the thing that I would say is like, I'm not seeing as much read stuff, you know, read option, uh, RPOs, stuff like that. It just doesn't feel like they're doing that a lot. And, um, you know, I, that's the kind of stuff that maybe you could do to kind of keep your opponent's defensive front from getting after you because it's hard to pin your ears back when the guy might just run by you for 15 yards or um, throw a pass into the flat or up the seam you know, for 15 yards, uh, especially if you're blitzing. So, um, and there's going to be some teams that come after UVA in a different way. Like, you know, Illinois was able to kind of get there with five guys, but some teams are going to bring the house and do different things. So, um, you know, we've dealt with this in the past. Like we've seen this with like earlier lines that UVA had under Bronco, where it's like the 2019 team comes to mind. It's like teams are just going to throw what they can at them and, and dare you to stop it. But the good news is those teams kind of improved um, blocking and, and kind of were able to do more you know, once they were able to get more time and figure things out, but yeah, I mean, that was kind of my concern with what I was seeing from a schematic standpoint on Saturday was, um, the primary read, you know, so like in denies offense and I'm not going to sit here and pretend like I'm pining for him to come back, but in a nice offense, you're right. The preset motion kind of alerted you to where deep, you know, like what defense they're in, you know, and then Brennan was able to make a pre-snap read, and that pre-snap read, I would say nine times out of 10 was a short throw, right? And then you'd have some long intermediate stuff mixed in. Last year was sort of an exception to the rule where they went deeper more. What I saw Saturday was a team that was like deep first. Like they were like their first read was deep. And it's like, that's not a good idea if you can't block because you're not going to get the ball out quick enough or, or you're going to have a lot of pressure or, you know, things are just going to go sideways really quickly. And you're not giving those receivers a lot of time to win those routes. And then they had struggles doing that too. So it just felt very disjointed because there wasn't a lot of emphasis on just get your guys in space with the ball. Um, It was like, got beat them over the top, win the one-on-one matchup, but the one-on-one matchup wasn't a slant. It was like a go a lot. Right. And it's like that kind of those plays, you don't hit a lot of those, even good offenses. Like if you go back and look at what UVA did last year, I bet you Brennan's completion percentage over on 20 plus yard throws was probably like 35%, which is like really good. Um, maybe less, maybe like 30, 25%. The, the thing was, I think their whole plan was like, we're going to hit them over the top and you just have to hit three or four of those. And that's touchdowns. Um, 
and they hit what one in the game and i think they had like 16 throws over 10 over 20 yards or something like a lot um and some of that i think was in the second half when they kind of got desperate but i just want to see more diversity in the offense and you know if 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 you run, come out against ODU and you do some of this stuff, but then you mix in stuff to Billy Kemp and he gets tackled in the flat for no gain, like cool. Like I mean, then then I'll say like, all right, I understand what you're doing, but like, it just felt to me like they had a game plan, but their game plan was just not a good one. Like they just they felt like they could hold up and they were wrong. Like they just they learned that they were wrong, and we all did um, about the blocking. So we'll see where we go from here. Um, yeah. But I mean, there's no way to really know like how much they're going to have to change and how much of it is execution. But I think it's kind of silly to be like, if the guys just win their one-on-ones, like we won't have this problem. It's like, if that was all it takes, then nobody would struggle. <laughs> like, you know, yeah. Cause receivers well, uh, are going to win one-on-ones a lot. Right. <laughs> so it's, it's just, but there's all, there's more guys out there. Well, where we go from here, let's, let's transition um, back to Charlottesville, um, back to the home field. Um, speaking of which, um, I don't know if you guys know this or not, but Home Field Apparel is is dropping some UVA stuff uh, on thir- as you listen to this on Thursday at ten. Some new uh, some new digs, some some new threads. Um, they were able to get some of the uh, older UVA uh, marks as they as they like to call them. So basically the the licensed stuff. So this is officially licensed apparel. Um, comes out like I said on Thursday the fifteenth. If you check out uh, homefieldapparel.com, you can use the promo code Cavs Corner for 15% off your first purchase. Um, so definitely give that a look. Um, there's a there's a lot of cool stuff that Homefield does, digging through different you know yearbooks and archives and media guides and stuff like that. So that, I think they've got some some good stuff. Um, I received a little bit of it and can tell you that it is very very well made, very highly um, highly um, uh, recommended. I think Ferber would probably agree. Um, yeah. Also, great to see them get like I think they said eight more different things. Yeah. So because, it's be a lot like, of UVA's lot of collection wasn't very big. Yeah. And now they're kind of adding to that, which Absolutely. is awesome. So Saturday afternoon, two o'clock, Old Dominion comes to town. Um, Death to Monarchs. Um, I, look, I I I don't want to get into a to this too deep. Brad, way too soon on that. Jeez. <laughs> Oh wow! I hadn't thought about that. That was really mean. I'm very sorry. <laughs> I was gonna I say, man. Sorry, I was thinking not. about the edit. Sorry, I was thinking about the edit. You know, and the and the state motto. And sorry, sorry, very sorry to the queen and all her family and and I don't know subjects. Um, <laughs> sorry, that was really mean. I really didn't mean it. Um, meanwhile, back at the ramp, uh, ranch. Um, okay, can we talk just for a hot second? And Dave, this is this is where I tag you in on this because I've been I said to you guys like two days ago, like save this for the pod. All right, so the angst of the offseason has certainly carried over, which I think we sort of alluded to in one of the preseason podcasts that, like, there was some angst out there, and if things didn't go right, that we could see it sort of getting sideways. And that was our angry podcast. Yeah. Was, that, was that the one that was angry? Yeah. Okay. So I feel like what Tony said the other day in a vacuum is, is actually not that big a deal. So for those who are um, unaware, and then I'm bringing it to you, which if it makes you angry, I really apologize. This is not my intent. Um, but it is a podcast, so we, we talk about things. Um, so he basically was saying, like, hey, we love the student turnout. We'd love it to see it if the students would stay the whole game. And the idea, essentially, from his comments was, like, you know, we, we need everybody in this. We're all in this together. And the response I saw to that I thought was fascinating because here you have a first-time head coach who's doing his best to sort of get his stuff, get his team right, and 
I don't want to say the fans are like hostile, but man, he has not gotten much of a honeymoon. Um, and I thought it was interesting because like, while on the one hand, I don't disagree that folks should come to the game and stay, you know, but at the same time, I don't know if that's necessarily the right moment to say it out loud. Like, you know, you, you, you just want to hope people come to the game and you give them the reason to stay. And it seems like to me that more than ever, there are so many other ways for you to spend an afternoon than to go to a football game. Now, granted, if you're a college student, you know, you're not, you know, driving that far, spending a bunch of money on that fun stuff, right? But, like, attendance is kind of, it is what it is. And it was like this even when UVA was, like, having a banger season a couple years ago, right? Um, and I don't know. I kind of came up from it thinking, even if that's the even if that's the thing to that you think, and even if he's not necessarily wrong, that maybe that wasn't necessarily the moment to say it. Um but I understand also, but at the same time, I understand why he's saying it. Because if he doesn't say it, then how, you know, he can't really expect for people to listen to him if he doesn't say it out loud. Um, how, how do we feel, uh, Dave? Let's let's start with you. Um, not just about this specific thing, but in general, sort of about the the mood that is currently out there right now. Well, about this specific thing, like I said in the thread, say it, say it loud, like embarrass UVA fans. I don't care. Um, look, I mean, UVA had a, UVA is not winning the national title, you know, um, at least in the next few years. Let's put it that way. Um, it just doesn't happen. And like, I don't understand the disconnect as someone who kind of was around, you know, hitting my, you know, my fandom started during, you know, the mid eighties as, as Welsh grew this team and sawing, seeing what, what UVA's football became, um, you know, 90s into the early 2000s, like Scott Stadium was packed, you know, and they expanded. It still, you know, still stayed full and it was loud, you know, a very loud stadium. And now, like, it's hard for present day me to kind of wrap my head around what I see sometimes. Um, like, I get all the other stuff. Um, but Tony doesn't, you know, he hasn't been around that much and, you know, hadn't been around Virginia. You know, he's coming from a program that has, ridiculous fan support and i don't think it's too much for a, he didn't call out every fan you know he didn't say hey every one of you should be in your seats and we should have a you know he's, he's mentioned it but he didn't call them out this time um look it motivates what 20 percent of the students who left early to stay then what does it hurt um what i am surprised about is like how exactly what you're talking about i don't know what happened to the honeymoon period um i mean people are acting like you know, a 10 win a year coach resigned and we got stuck with this guy and I don't quite understand what's happening. <laughs> I don't, I can't wrap <laughs> my head around it and it makes me angry. Like I've had to delete so many things I wanted to tweet. Um, and I know we've, I may have said it on the podcast. I know I've said it to you guys, but it's UVA football fans um, at times can, can be frustrating because they like, you know, if there's a lit, it's almost like they're scared to, show they really into it because they don't want to get teased if this, the team doesn't win, you know, a lot of games. Now, a lot of that has to do with the fact that your rival beats you on a consistent basis. It does because Virginia tech basically has the same record, except they beat Virginia and their fans buy in. Um, Basically, you don't, so people just don't want to be the Notre Dame meme guy in they don't. real life. Yeah. But, yeah. but yeah, I mean, if you remember after Notre Dame meme guy, the very next game, like multiple fans did that exact same thing. Yeah. You know, so you know, next time in they the got Twitter beat, so. era, people are just gonna do that kind of yeah. stuff. 
but yeah, but I feel the, like you know, the contrast only- is like basketball. Just my last point. The contrast with basketball is like the basketball team can be doing good and someone in the media can say something slightly off and UVA fans attack that. Like, this is program is great. What are you talking about? Well, I, I think that, I, I, I think that it. used to be the way. I don't know if that's necessarily the case now. Yeah, there's been a little bit of a backlash. Maybe COVID just like messed with everybody's brain. I think it, I think it did. I think people got away from it. But listen, you know what? Dave just made a good point about like sort of you know the idea like hey if it if it if it motivates you know however that's good i think the the flip side of that though is it like for example when we start having conversations like this we've talked about this enough that people like brand us as like the angry you know like we're talking down to fans like we're literally just talking about the thing right it's it's a podcast about uva sports like i'm sorry but like that's a part of the conversation okay but like we have gotten sort of branded with that a little bit right well I think if you're Tony, you don't want to run the risk this early on of getting like that sort of moniker, that sort of like idea sort of attached to you. Right. So I'm not saying necessarily that he's wrong or that he, you know, he shouldn't ever say it. I just don't know if, if that was the right moment, especially considering, you know, sort of where things are. Um, now the flip side of that for is like, you know, Dave is, I, I think making a good point about sort of the, that the stadium used to be what it was and it's hard for it, it's hard to think about like if if the last couple of years you know if that 2019 if that that wasn't going to be the year where the place started selling out again um is this much do about nothing are we wasting our time talking about because i do feel like going into it there's this there's a weird vibe around it you know like it's a very weird sort of, to me at least it just feel it has a weird feeling to it in the sense that Here's a a team where you've got a new coach who you know I think folks should be ecstatic about. Um, you do have a lot of pieces, yeah. They they really, you know, looked terrible last week. Um, but just in general, it, that was sort of the vibe going into it, right? Even before that game, um, this whole start of the season has just felt odd to me. And I'm just curious um, if this is if we're if we're making too much about nothing, or if you think this is something that deserves the time we're spending on it. Yeah, I mean. I- I would like to kind of separate the two things. I want to separate like how people reacted to the game on Saturday and like the overall sentiment, because I feel like the reaction to how they played on Saturday is justified. Like, I feel like if you want to be pissed about that, like you get 12 of these a year and one of them, you score three points. Like, I mean, that's pretty bad. Um, and I'm not, I'm not making excuses for that. You know what I mean? Like oh, at the end of the, at the end of the season, we could look back and be like, it wasn't as big of a deal as people thought it was. People were trying yeah. to switch offensive That's coordinators fair. already and stuff like that. But at the same time, I have gotten that sense that you have, and we've talked about it. And again, I'm not coming after the fans or anything, but like, I do feel like, I mean, and, and people just feel the way that they want to feel. So like, I mean, I can't question that, but like, it does feel like people are just like not sold on this. Um, yeah. And, and I don't know that it's anything that Tony Elliott or his staff right. have done. It's right. a combination of factors. And right. I can't quite put my finger on like the root cause. I think it's Bronco. I mean, and, that, and I don't mean that like Bronco set up, but I think most of the time you get rid of a coach because that dude was terrible. Yeah. It's like or anybody, that, but this guy, thank God it's the right, new guy. Exactly. And like we don't when, have when, that right now. You know, again, Mike London, one of the greatest humans I know was a terrible football coach and you know once he once he was finally let go people were like oh they were so excited right there was there was there was change and stuff i i do think that a lot of this a lot of what we're talking about is rooted in the idea that like this was a very odd 
coaching change, right? Because not only did you not have the guy who was terrible and everybody wanted him gone, but you also didn't have the guy that won a bunch and went to a better job. Like this dude just straight up quit, right? And so there is this ghost that sort of just trails around the program, which is like this sort of alternate universe where Bronco's still the coach and Anaya's still the coordinator. By the way, folks, you don't want that. Um, and I'm not going into it any more than that. Just please let it go. Let that go. Just stop. Um, but in general, like there's this ghost that follows the thing around and it's like people can't, it's like, unless it was like going gangbusters, like I think this part was inevitable, right? The juxtaposition, the comparison that you would have constantly, right? Well, what did the offense look like in the opener? Well, it was fine. It wasn't as good as it was last year, right? There's just this constant, like, comparison that has to happen that I think is natural on some level but I think some folks are just not willing to let it go because ultimately like it's not that's just not the way these things work right normally you either you have a terrible coach and you want everything in the world uh to whatever it's got to take to 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 get change right well now you have a guy who come in and he's talking about change but you know a lot of fans they didn't really necessarily want change yet right they liked what they had they were kind of looking forward to having more of it and I think that there's definitely some of that playing a role here, which is like, you know, there's different this and different that, and some of them don't want that. They they sort of were happy with what they had, and it kind of got taken away from them before, you know, before their, um, you know, their time on the ride was over, so to speak. You know what I mean? And like I just and I think I think part of it too is like, in fairness, there haven't been a lot of like big wins for this staff. Like, yeah, recruiting is meh, like at best. Um, in terms of like the rankings and stuff, I don't right, know right, how I got these you. players yeah, are going to turn out. Um, there's nothing really like to get like super excited about there though. So that doesn't get people going. I don't think that that would lead to like big attendance numbers. The people who were saying that, I don't, I don't agree with that at all. Um, but that, and then like the staff was kind of like a staff that I don't think like people saying like they can't coach. I think that's like a little bit premature. Um, but like, there's not like a bunch of names on it that people knew. Right. Um, and that's fine. Like you just need to get good. Play. Like, does anybody know anybody that's on wake staff? Like, <laughs> I don't Well, know. that defensive coordinator that was supposed yeah. to be the defensive Can coordinator. I shoot that get? argument down. Right. Yeah. Him. Whole... But that, I mean, like even he had to replace somebody else who was the, a nobody. So like, I mean, what I'm saying is like, I think there's just like a lot of things where people are just like, all right, this isn't as good as I wanted it to be. All right. This isn't as good as I wanted it to be. The biggest win they had was getting Brandon Armstrong and a bunch of these other guys to come back. Yeah, um, but and that's but that people just kind of assume that that's like the natural course of events, I think. But ultimately, I think like if you win games, people will come around. If you don't, it's just another excuse to have them not like you. Um, I do feel like Bronco got way more runway, but I think people and considering how bad he started um, and, you know, in, in fair Bronco is a different guy. Tony Elliott, but there are some similarities where it's yeah, there like are a lot of they're used to they're used like to winning. Many. Like they yes. they feel like they're coming from a position of strength, and and it's like how do they deal with like adversity and things like that? And um, you know, there's like a lot of accountability um, and things like that that are at the heart of it. But I think ultimately it comes down to results. Um, I think Bronco people were easily able to be like. And it's the same thing, you know, we were talking about like how tech fans are going to re react to Brent Pry. I think a lot of them are just like, well, we're not going to be like, if, if they lose games, it's not, they're not going to put it on him. But Tony Elliott's not in that situation because UVA wasn't quote unquote bad, even though they and tech had the same record last year. So yeah. like, I mean, I don't, it's just a change, but 
you know, we'll see. I mean, go out and hammer ODU, and I think some of your problems go away to, or at least for a week. You go out and you lose, or you win thirteen to ten. Like you're gonna have some problems, and you're gonna have some angry people. Yeah. The last thing I'll say is on the attendance stuff. I think it's worth noting, in fairness to him, he was asked specifically. Yes, this was it. not something he brought up. That's this was not fair. something That's he brought fair. up out of the blue. Correct. To bring up, and and to be quite honest with you, like I think. <laughs> He's going to have a reality check of his own, even if they do start winning about the fans, like, because probably Saturday. Yeah. I mean, like, they're not like, I don't, I don't want to be like gloom and doom here, but like, I don't, I don't know that they're coming back. Like, I don't, I don't know that you're filling this place unless something really dramatically changes and they're like number eight in the country or something. Um, yeah. Because like, like they just, I mean, they, they had Notre Dame a top 10 team at home last year and a night game on national television. And they got, and they were six and three, and forty eight thousand people showed up, yeah. and that's what they told us the attendance was. I don't even know if it was that many people. Yeah. So I think that kind of gives you a litmus test about like where they are. But they need Tony Elliott needs to be focused on what's happening between the lines. To be quite honest with you, because what we saw on Saturday was awful, and I mean like his focus needs to be there. The the rest of that stuff will sort itself out. But I mean, honestly, I he's very honest about everything. And there's like a it's like a double edged sword because you get great feedback from him. He's being honest with you. He really but is. At the I, same, mean, I do appreciate it. But at that. the same time, it's like these things go to Twitter as individual quotes without context, and you just have to know to dodge a punch here and there. And that I would say also applies to criticizing players. Like I wasn't a huge fan of that press conference after the game where it was like about execution and he hadn't watched the film yet. And I think they took more ownership on Tuesday as a staff, but like, I mean, it wasn't all execution. You know what I mean? Like you put your team in a position to, to play the way they play. They, they, they play like they're prepared and they scored three points. So you got to own that. Yeah. Um, and I think he is owning it. I just, I just feel like that's one of those things where I'm not going to give him a pass for that. You know, I mean, I'll, I'll put it blunt. I don't quite understand what the hell is going on with the fan base and Tony Elliott Bronco Mendenhall was six and six last year and chose to leave us high and dry. Dr. Bob tried to burn the building down on his way out. <laughs> I don't want to hear a damn word about how good his offense was. Yeah. You can his say you like without his Brendan scheme, last like, year we don't scored want the three points. <laughs> his offense without Brendan last year scored three points against Notre Dame and a home game with all week to prepare knowing Brendan wasn't playing. So two weeks, it's not just no, two weeks to prepare. Yeah. Even better. Um, so, like, let's not act like you know the offense was scoring 100 points a game last year, and Virginia was 10 and two or whatever. You know, they were a six and six team two years in a row. Um, and the offense we saw last year wasn't what Dr. Bob ran every year. He was good at manip- you know changing his offense to the personnel he had. Um, I think some of that, like you know, if you're the casual UVA fan, and most UVA football fans, I would classify as casual because where were they when, when, you know, when we sucked and where are they on Saturday? Um, but you know, offense is fun. The, you don't have to know a lot about football to see, Hey, they score, they throw the ball around a lot and score. But to me, like as frustrating as the Illinois game was, it was no less on a, on a frustration scale for me as a football guy that UNC lost last year, 59, 39 was just as painful as the Illinois loss. It's just or a different BYU way to get your butt kicked. Right. A bunch yeah. of um, yeah, well, and it's, it's a also complimentary worth, game. Yeah. So, like, just chill out. Give the guy a chance. Like, look, <laughs> I don't understand it. And and the same people, like Justin said it, people are out there acting like coaches can't coach. Well, the defense is 100% better. So it's not I was, one yeah, of that's those where coaches. I was going. It's like, what's weird is And that, the like, only new coaches on offense are Des Kitchings because Marcus is back and 2J's back. 
So, and you don't have to count on, you know, a running back coach last year because we didn't use them. So that's an upgrade. So is desk kitchen not as good as Dr. Bob? Probably not at this point in his career. Um, but you know, it, it is what it, I, it, it's just frustrating. If, if, if putting that stuff on Twitter, you know, especially if one of your arguments is, you know, I don't like the coaches are not recruiting. Well, he's not getting these way. Putting that stuff on Twitter is not helping any of that. Yeah. I also um, completely agree with everything Tony Elliott said about like, if the fans want them to be better, they can help like with attendance. You know what I mean? Yeah, like he mentioned, sure. like you don't really hear it framed that way very often. And I honestly, like I applaud the way that Bronco framed attendance too. like his approach was different, but I agree with that. He was like, we have to earn it, you know, but in a sense <laughs> to be, to be fair, I think they did earn better attendance than what they got. You know what I mean? Like, oh, I, think, yeah, I think that's definitely true. 2019, that tech game was to go to the ACC championship and the Orange Bowl because we yeah, already knew that 000. Clemson was going to the playoff. And, you know, it was a Friday, but like, I mean, it wasn't near full. Last year, the tech game, UVA's, you know, trying to beat them for the second straight time at home, not near full. And again, like, I don't necessarily think I'm preaching to people who don't want to go to games. I just don't know where those people are. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, I, I think it kind of speaks to an overall, like, I don't want to say it's like a total dissatisfaction. And we have to remember like message boards and Twitter are the most extreme versions of this sometimes like, um, but yeah, it doesn't feel like, I mean, when Bronco got hired, you know, he's a pretty good coach, but not exactly like, you know, a name like that. People were like, Oh, they got Bronco, you know, like things are about to change. And they still, I felt like got way more support early on than this staff has. And, yeah, and he went two and ten. I was gonna say, he yeah, and, and they lost to Richmond by seventeen in their first game. And like, I, I actually tried to go back and see if I could find what people were saying then, but like, I don't remember people like being like fire everybody and blow this whole thing up. Like, no, it was yeah. more blaming Mike London. It was right, more like they were doing sucks. what Brent Pry did. Yeah. What they did for <laughs> yeah. Brent Pry the other week. Listen, I'm not again. I, I, I know that we have at times we do get in these long conversations about these things. And I, again, I'm not, I'm not sitting here telling people what to do. I'm if you're listening to this, you are not the problem, probably. <laughs> you know what I mean? He like, said probably. Um, but I, I, I'm fascinated by like the 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 psychology of it all, right? Because granted, like it makes sense to me that people, you know, who were happy with the previous staff who kind of would rather them have not left, but like they're just skipping over the fact that the dude quit. Like they're sk- just skipping right over it, you know? And I'm like if this was a de- if this was a kid who committed to you and then decommitted, folks, folks burn those bridges so fast. Well, we don't want him anyway. Yet this dude is like, I don't know, man. The whole the whole psychology of it is just fascinating to me. But the reason we're talking about it is because it's it is absolutely out there. To Ferber's point, this is this is very true that message boards and and Twitter and social media in general, right? Like that's not necessarily the same as like reality. But I will tell you what is reality, and that is the butts in the seats, and they are simply not there. Now, you can make a case to me and say, well, Brad, there's not a whole lot of great games on the schedule. Fair. Also, what does that necessarily change, right? Like, the bottom line might be that, you know, UVA ceiling for the number of fans who come to the games is lower. Okay, cool. But what I don't see in the stands are people like, you know, falling all over themselves to to have, you know, a great football experience, right? Um, and, I mean, that matters. But, again, I understand the message for Twitter thing is, you know, they're not necessarily indicative of the casual fan. Okay, but 
the casual fans are the folks that used to come to games. And I understand there's a whole lot else they can be doing right now. That's not that. Um, I'm not, I have no guess as to what attendance will be like on Saturday. Um, but I, I, I don't think that it's, I don't think it's a stretch to say that the issues that we're talking about are impacting um, attendance. And again, I, I'm certainly not going to like throw stones and, and say like, Oh, you know, this was a, a blunder or whatever. I just think that like in the, in the, as you're trying to build that sort of rapport and build that sort of, you know, social capital with people, um, leaving the part out of like, well, we would like you to stay the whole game. Right. Like to Ferber's point earlier, like Bronco would talk about earning it. Right. We've got to earn, you know, earn that. And, and he wanted to turn the, the, the stands and the home field into, into a, um, you know, a, a big positive. And, and what's funny is that like a lot of people will talk to you about UVA's like home field advantage, but you guys were kind of breaking this down the other day, looking at like the teams that they've beaten and sort of like where that, you know, where that record comes from. And it's, it it's, it's tough to say that it has been a quote, you know what I'm saying? Like it, their home record is very much inflated by the opponents, but yeah. I mean, I'm not, they're, they're more comfortable probably playing at home, but it's not like, I mean, the place isn't loud. Like, you know, very rarely. And unless, and unless, the, unless it's the, unless it's tech on the other side or Carolina, I think you know UVA I mean? just like has, uh, I don't even want to, I've kind of like, I think I'm like more broken on this than I was before. I was like, eventually people will come back if they win. And now I'm kind of like for what UVA is as a program, I think they would have to win on levels that they haven't really won before to get people to come back. Yeah. Um, and I just don't know that that's even worth like going like, you know, spending a lot of time on just because it's like, I think the people who want to be there are there. And I, like I, I told Dave the other day, I was like, if they made tickets free, like how many people would come Saturday? Yeah. You think it'd be full? No. Like it would be maybe a few more thousand people come, but probably not many. Like, and, yeah. and that's, that's the demand, but, and it's up to Tony Elliott and his staff and, and UVA as an administration to make the demand greater. Right. But at the same time, like, I don't want to, I feel like people kind of lose their right to complain about a coach saying stuff like this if they don't go Fair. because he's going to kind of talking about the seats that you would be in. You, like, you know what in. I mean? Like, yeah. Now, it, I will it say is what it is. I'm more concerned about him calling out the players because like I feel <laughs> right. like eventually you run out of bandwidth with that. Right. You keep losing and people are going to be like, you keep telling us to listen to you and we're worse than we were last year. So like, why right. should we listen to you? Right. And I, I want to say real quick, like the concessions thing that we talked about, you know, like, you know, I know that that is a very real thing. Imagine UVA if UVA has their own work to do on this right. for sure. Imagine yeah. if you didn't if you didn't go to the game and then you heard about that. And you're like, I mean, is that really like enticing you? So to be fair, that like if there were people who were on the fence, maybe that entire like you know experience situation sort of dampened that. Um, again, I, I I if you're somebody who's hearing this conversation and you think to yourself like, yeah, they're right on. Okay, cool. If you're somebody who's hearing this and you're like, um, I don't have to go to the game. That doesn't you know, changed my fanhood. Okay, cool. Like I'm not saying anybody has to do anything they don't want to do. Like all my point is, is that like, it's fascinating to me to think that like you got this coach in large part because the previous guy quit. I mean, he just quit. He just said, no, nah, I don't want to do it anymore. And there definitely is a segment of the fan base, however large, I'm not sure, but there's definitely a segment of the fan base is like upset about that. And like, you know, and like almost like holding it against 
the new f- staff or something. I don't know. But I do think that that winning is the thing that cures all. And certainly in that 2-10 and 10 season, there were plenty of people who were not sure that anything like what was going to happen in 2019 was going to happen. Um, but once it happened, and certainly because of the way it happened, right? Like when you think about p- people talking about the season, nobody talks about how they got pasted in the ACC championship game, right? Nobody cares about like that they actually lost the Orange Bowl. All they care about is that they got there, they won the division, they beat Tech. Um, and it's so funny to me how like the, <laughs> the bona fides for like what was like success are so like, I'm not saying that like winning the coastal is not success. Don't get me wrong, but I'm just saying like, again, they didn't like, they didn't set the world on fire. They just won the one game that everybody cared about the winning and, and did a good thing. Right. And people, and it was like, well, then the next, you know, the COVID year and everything else in 2021 was like, oh, that's not a big deal. Right. It's just fascinating to me. Like I don't, I, like, I don't understand how it's not fascinating to everybody. Like it's, yeah, it's, it's just very fascinating to me. I would say like just real. I don't want to spend too much time on this because like it, you know, we could go down a huge rabbit hole here. What if everything was exactly as it has been since December, but the coach was Anthony Poindexter, like exactly yeah. the same. What what would be the reaction to what happened on Saturday? Man, that that sounds like a great podcast topic for the bye week. That's what I think. But also, I mean, I think people would still be pissed about scoring three points. No, like, they I, would. Be. They would be frustrated. <laughs> yeah. But they would. It wouldn't be. I think the tenor of it would be different, right? You, I don't think you would be worried about like what Doctor Bob's doing now. Is it's a fact that like Syracuse's offense is like is that playing a role? Maybe, probably. But like, I do think that that the point extra piece of this will always be the grassy knoll, right? The conspiracy theorists and everybody will come out and it will be the piece that, you know, I think will always sort of um, like loom over there as like this just impossible to resist thing. I think if Anthony Poindexter was a coach, UVA came out and beat Richmond 34-17 and looked exactly how Virginia looked, right? And then went to Illinois and lost 24 to three, whatever. And let's say the recruiting is exactly as it is. Right. Okay. Like I, I, I genuinely think that people would be like, man, um, you know, this is going to be a longer season than we thought, but you know, at least we got decks. Like there would, that would be, I think a, a central thing. So weird to me. I just don't understand. But do you see, but but I mean, it tracks, right? Because like the thought process I think would be like, okay, recruiting is going to get better. Right. I, I do think that if, if decks had been hired, there would have been a larger likelihood that the recruiting issues that they were having in this class would be would fall on the previous staff in a more um yeah it wouldn't be like he doesn't way. know what he's doing it would Correct. be like it would be like he's dealing with a tough situation but Correct. also i mean i guess if you if you if you want to make this argument i guess the idea would be like well it wouldn't be as bad as it is well that's you know, fair but but but, but, but <laughs> I, I mean i'm certain well for the record i'm certainly not making the argument yeah. um, <laughs> but i'm just saying like i think i think the vast majority of people who who wanted dex thought that even if he wasn't necessarily ready right i think part of it is that they see tony right now and they wonder if he's ready, right? Mm-hmm. And even if Dex wasn't ready, they don't care because he's one of theirs. Yeah, you that's know? that's a yeah. football fan. It's not a UVA specific thing. Yeah, I mean, no, no, this is a, yeah, this Nebraska is fans want a Nebraska guy. It's yeah, like, okay, whatever. Oh yeah, they did, didn't um, they? How'd that work but, out for him? Yeah, exactly. And and he was <laughs> he was a coach that just went undefeated. Um, but I mean, yeah, I think that's just a fascinating way to. Th- and I I don't think there's like a whole bunch of people like holding it over Tony Elliott that he wasn't their first choice, but. 
it's just interesting to me, like how it all kind of fits together. And um, I wonder too, like, you know, again, I don't want to spend too much time on this, but like, I wonder too, if you could like take out that, not, I want to say bad season that Clemson's offense had last year, but like not a regular Clemson offense. And he got hired after like the 2020 season. Like, would people have been like way more fired up about it? Well, that's a good question. I mean, I, but I, I don't I know kinda... that people are like digging into that stuff so much. Like, yeah, I, don't I was gonna know. say the I don't average, think the casual the, the, fan, knows. fan tweeting this stuff doesn't know have a clue what Tony Elliott did at Clemson. You know, they probably think he's he did, from Clemson. They probably don't think he was a play caller for. I think there is a there is a there is a lot of and there's no way we. I mean, we might look back in five years and decide this is correct. Um, but there is a lot of, I think like he just did it with good players. And so like, he's not that good of a coach. He just like took advantage of having good players. Um, I don't agree with that just because I feel like there's way more to football than that because you just saw it on Saturday. (laughs) Like UVA has got a lot of good players and they got a lot of work to do. Like you don't just snap your fingers and go out and do it. And Um, it's not about just talent. It's about getting that talent to perform together, you know? That's why you get Appalachian State at Texas A&M. That's why you get, you know, upsets yeah, if, if like it was that a about basis. talent, then why isn't Texas A&M 2-0 and so on? Yeah, so, exactly. You know what I mean? Like, that's that's a yeah. facile analogy. But, yeah, yeah, I just think it's it's been weird, but it's been weird since, like, it wasn't – I mean, like, when he got the job, I felt like people were kind of like, okay, like, this is fine. Like, this is good. Um, yeah. But it I felt mean, like I there was, like, a weird a... turning point at some point where people just kind of started to, like, check out on this and – yeah, yeah. I, mean, I think we're probably all guilty of looking at it in in one way. Like it's it was so much that led up to it. You know, it was a hey, who's our new defensive coordinator to beat? To old crap. That took a while. New and, coach. Then yeah. oh my god, is it Dex? And then oh, it's Tony Elliott. Oh wait, maybe not. He's going back to Clemson without a job. Oh wait, he's back. It's him. And then he gets the job. And then it's Bronco. Hey, he says I'm step. It's Broncos team until the Fenway Bowl. So you wait for the Fenway Bowl, which never happens. Um, then it's now all of a sudden it's Tony's team, but you've already got all these transfers in the portal and now you're waiting to hear Brendan's comes back and that takes a while to come out. Um, and then, you know, he goes out and has some success and signs a bunch of players to kind of fill out that class and try to build an offensive line, get a couple of direct grads, you know, transfers, um, then a spring ball. So it's, I think it's just a, a lot of different factors. And then, I don't know. <laughs> I don't. I don't understand what we saw. Um, like, be upset about the game, but like, you know, one one loss turned into just a huge like, you know, this is the whole program. Scrap the offense, turn it around. Yeah, and honestly, um, this was yeah. my fear with being like they're just going to come out and be great this year on offense because I was like, we don't know that. No. And now you're holding a coach to a standard of like that he might not be able to meet a standard and- that you have met. You're misremembering. Like the offense was you mean explosive. At, yeah. Yeah. The <laughs> yeah. offense was explosive at times, but it wasn't all, you know, I mean, I told you, I, I don't want this podcast to go on three hours, but um, yeah, I told you, I, was, I forgot I was going to bring it up. But to me, last year's Virginia offense was, and you guys can disagree. You didn't respond in the text thread. So maybe you've got, you think. I'm no. Wrong. Yeah. I mean, I understand what you're saying. It's kind of but like yeah, a one-off was, offense. Yeah. It was so like a pack line. Yeah. I mean, like a pack line, like, like, Paul Johnson's triple option. You can't practice against what what Dr. Bob did last year with Ira Armstead, Gio Rodriguez, like so KT, KT, all these guys touching the ball. There was no way in one week's time to prepare for that offense, right? Um, but that, but if you could, you know, if you realize, hey, that offense scores quickly, it leaves their defense on the field. We've got an offense capable of taking care of that defense. So let's, you know, 
the same way that doc, you know, that Paul Johnson's triple option when successful was hard to beat when it, when you were able to kind of stop it and make them have to come from behind. It's a similar thing. I mean, it's kind of the analogy is not perfect, but that's kind of how that offense was. And that's why, look, as great as it was, it was a six and six season. Um, to me, uh, what Tony Elliott's and that kind of offense will do is if you can run that offense well by getting the talent, coaching them up, getting them to play together, that, you know, an, an offense that's balanced, like what his goal is, will help complement, you know, the thing that Bronco always talked about will help complement the defense better. I think that's how you win more. Um, just might not be as fun as you kind of get there. Yeah. I mean, all this said, like, you know, we're saying like, you know, be reasonable about expectations. Like if they come out and suck on Saturday, like I'm not yeah. going to be on here next week talking about be patient and be happy <laughs> with it. And like, I mean, and I think a lot of people are expecting that and, and I, I, get it like i understand um and we'll see i mean the proof will be in the pudding but like well at least yeah. two of the people on this podcast expected them to go 10 and 2 so i'm just saying yeah yeah i mean i, I, I will think say like if they, if they come out and, and lay an egg and score 10 points on saturday then they have real real problems and they might like go like 2 and 10 because like yeah. that that means that something's like really really wrong and i can't really excuse that sort of a performance if they come out and win 24 to 17, I might be like, all right, it wasn't great, but it was a step in the right direction. You know, that's about what Vegas thinks. Um, anyway, <laughs> no, I mean, I think just the last point on last week, I do think Illinois might end up being one of the better defenses we play all season. Maybe not Miami good. They looked, they looked like they executed their stuff really well. I, I was going to say, I thought on the, I thought they actually executed at a high level and I couldn't tell, you know, how much of that was because UVA just wasn't and how much of that was just them winning their matchups. But I thought they did, they did a really nice job of winning the matchups. I think, I, I think in that kind of game, it's, it's actually like, like when you have such a, like a Jekyll and Hyde sort of situation with like the, you know, you, your offense is completely uncharacteristic and stuff. Like, I think on some level, you got to give a little credit to the, to the other side. Right. Um, they so had a I great game plan. Like, they I did. Thought they, they did a really they did. nice the job. Rest and now it's now it's out there. It's, it's on it's on blooper. I, I, look, we're we're not going to end up. You know, it's we're an hour in now, so we're not going to end up talking a whole lot about Old Dominion. I, I don't think any of us are experts. There isn't really much to say. This is a UVA game. Like, yeah, this is about. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Is that ultimately the story of this game is about UVA? Like, how does it handle itself? You know, offensively, can the Cavaliers come out and actually put up? some points again can the defense continue to take the steps that we may that we've seen and special like, teams i mean that's oh, another area yeah, where they gotta special teams. um they gotta do better yeah I, look i what i saw from old dominion in the tech game was an offense that did not scare me a defense that was you know decent um i think if, if, if unless virginia really like kind of poops the bed like they should they should win this one like i don't think there's any doubt about it right um but i think that after what we saw last week you know, I'm kind of, as I told Matt Josephs uh, the other day, like I am kind of in a place where it's like, I'm going to have to see them do it again before I can expect them to do it again. Right. Like, do I think, do I think that they're going to do it? Yeah. Am I expecting it? No, I'm not. Because I'm, what I saw last Saturday was enough to make me think I need to woe the train up on my expectations for the offense. Now they come out. They put up 40-something. Okay, cool. You know, they're throwing the ball around the yard, you know, doing whatever. All right, cool. Like, I'm back, right? That, to me, will tell me, okay, this was an aberration, right? But, to Ferber's point, like, if they come out and score, like, 10 points, yeah, man, that was some, some real troubles. Um, let's just move right into the, uh, into the um, prediction portion of the show. 
God, I cannot wait to spend the entire podcast next week talking about Dr. Bob for the entirety of it. Um, Dave, in the preseason, uh, you had Virginia bouncing back from a loss to Illinois. Um, you had them. You had Virginia yeah. scoring all like twenty points, man. They're still on track for Dave's. Uh, Dave's ten and two. 10 yeah, two. seriously. Uh, you had them winning this 30, <laughs> 30 to seventeen. Um, do you think they get to thirty? Yeah, I mean, I, I'm going to keep my score the same. Um, you know, Vegas says it's you know now it's down to an eight point spread for the record. Um, thirty two to you know thirty one to twenty three is about what the over under is. Um, so. Uh, I think 30 to 17 is about right. Um, look, ODU is pretty good. You know, that, that Jennings kid is good. So it's going to be, I think they'll score some. It's going to be uh, important for the defense to be able to stop the run because ODU has not run the ball well this year. Um, but Virginia is going to be able to stop when they have to stop their run with the front six. And so, you know, it, hopefully with five so that they can kind of double cover this Jennings kid because he averages like 22 yards a catch or something insane. Um, but, like, this is a big game. You know, ODU is going to come in fired up. Um, I don't – I can't imagine like having to deal with a loss. I mean, we've dealt with worse losses in the past, in the recent past. But, like, I, I'm of the I'm of the ilk that that was an aberration we saw last week. And – I mean, I think it's if there's one thing we didn't mention, this was the first road game for a staff, you know, you know, a first time head coach and a staff in a lot of new positions, their first game on the road. And they might have learned a lot about how to handle that. Um, so I'm expecting a turnaround in front of a less than capacity crowd, hmm. 30 to 17. Just a, this is a no, good you don't, snapshot. You don't think they'll get to sixty-one thousand? It's going to be close. <laughs> the weather's good. Uh, this is a good snapshot. What if Tony Elliott comes out after they win like forty-two to ten, and he goes into the press conference? He's like, "I cannot believe that it wasn't sold out." Yeah, like, be funny. <laughs> I'll be like, um, "Uh." <laughs> <laughs> um. So, for the record, I think that this is a good snapshot of where things are. This is the ODU game, and Dave just said, this is a big game, and I don't disagree with him. <laughs> yeah, that's the perfect summary of it is, like, we're looking at this like it's very important. That like, this is, a, this is a must-win sort of situation. 2019 season. Um, they did, were, yeah. yeah they, and that team, was, that team wasn't very – they won, like, 1-11. Yeah. All right, Ferber, in the, in the preseason, you had a 35-21 UVA. We got – I'm going to take some points off the board. Um I'll go 26 to 17 UVA, something like that. Um, 26, I do, huh? Yeah, field goals and such. Um, maybe there's a safety in there or something. Maybe there's a missed extra point. They're going to make a field goal? Yeah. <laughs> All right. So, like, my thought on this game is UVA has the better team. ODU certainly is going to come in with some confidence, having already beaten Tech and all that. Um and they're going to, I think Tony Elliott even said it, they're going to smell blood in the water after seeing what UVA did last week. They're going to think, like, why can't we beat them, you know? And they should. Um, I think UVA bounces back. I will say, like, I think what happened to Illinois is an aberration. I don't think they're going to have a bunch of games like that. Because, I mean, like, <laughs> unless you're Iowa right now, like, few teams do have games that bad all the season long, um, even the bad teams. Um, but, yeah, I mean, like, I think – it does kind of reality check that this offense might be more like uh even if they kind of get it turned back around, they might be more like a 26, 27 points a game than like a 33 points a game offense, something like that. Um, that's a pretty big difference for people that aren't familiar with that. 
Um, that's like a huge difference nationally. Um, but yeah, I think they kind of get back on track. I'm interested to see how the defense does too. You know, they've, they've had a lot of success. Um, I would say like the Illinois game, they kind of did what they needed to do. They at least gave them a chance to win. They weren't perfect, but they did. Okay. Um, interested to see how they do against the third team. We'll really find out what they can do against Syracuse. I think, um, you know, like what, what they're going to be like, but, um, I think they bounce back. I think maybe it's not quite as as pretty as people hope that it, will, it is, but, um, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I also like, I mean, I, I, I guess I would be like surprised if ODU won, but like there is a, there is a path to it where it's like UVA is just terrible on offense. Um, and they win, you know, 14 to 13 or something like that. Um, but yeah, I, I think UVA wins it, but, they really need it. And I think honestly, just winning it, you want to win it, but I think if you win 17, 16, like you're still going to have a lot of upset people. And for good reason, I think you have to kind of come out and make a statement and execute. In the, uh, in the preseason, I had UVA winning at 37 to 17. I'm going to amend that slightly. Listen, I, I think that is a lofty number to expect them to score, but I also think that if you're going to pick a thing, you sort of have to have some sort of bedrock expectations. And I'm going to uh, my my thought process is is that you know we're due for a, a little bit of a bounce back. So I've got give me 31 17. Um, not necessarily super confident in the offense right now, but at the same time, I do think that um, playing at home and um, kind of bouncing back, I think that's going to be sort of a rallying thing. Um, the, my my big question in this game is, at what point, you know, we've heard from them that, like, you know, they don't, and certainly the depth chart doesn't say they're going to make a whole slew of changes or anything like that, but I'm just curious, like, at what point do they start to sort of, like, and I'm not saying that necessarily they're there, right, but I'm just curious, like, what is the point at which they think, all right, this is not working. We need to do something else. What is that something else? Right. It, I'm not, I'm not saying you should ever expect a team to sort of like change its entire identity. You know, that happened once for UVA and it didn't go well. Right. Where midstream, you know, trash the offense and go back to something else. But I just think that like on some level, there has to be some flexibility that what happened on Saturday doesn't happen again. Right. That it, that if it's not working, that the answer isn't like, oh, it's just like Novocaine, just give it time. Like, no. Like, you have to understand, like, why something is, isn't working and if that's going to change. And I think that one of the things that is frustrating about that game is that when you look back on it, like, they kind of kept doing, like, yes, they made some small adjustments here. I'm not saying, like, they, they literally kept doing the same thing over and over again. But a lot of, lot of what was plaguing them plagued them consistently the entire day. Um, that's a, hopefully a lesson that they've learned and, and can get out of. I also think that like what, what I saw of ODU's offense, I feel pretty good about UVA's defense in this matchup. Um, especially with film out there. Um, you know, if this was an opener or whatever, you know, who, you know, Katie bar the door, but, um, anyway, um, that's kind of where I got it. All right, let's wrap up this week. I want to talk a few minutes about Virginia basketball, uh, recruiting, Obviously, a nice commitment. Um, Elijah Gertrude is a talented four-star kid. It, um, I think we have him one twelve overall. I, I know that he is um, he's rated or excuse me ranked higher 
uh, on other services. So I'm not going to pretend that he's not like a top 30 kid here or there. Um, but at least for our purposes, you know, he's right there, uh, at, you know, that top 100 sort of uh, cutoff. Not to say he'll stay there. Um, certainly it, the opportunity is there for him to move up. Um, I got to say, a, a nice little class that, that Tony Bennett and company are putting together. Uh, and I'm just curious to get y'all's thoughts on on the commitment and the timing of it, the fact that they were able to get him to take that visit um, for the for the Richmond game and, you know, come in. Um, I mean, the, the it's been a terrible, terribly kept secret since um, that, you know, he was he was likely headed to UVA. But it certainly feels like to me that this is a really nice piece of the puzzle in place. Um, Dave, let's start with you. How are you feeling about uh, getting this commitment today? It's pretty good. I mean, you know, Ferber and I saw him on the downtown mall on Friday night before the Richmond game and his secret visit. And I was like, man, he looks pretty comfortable. He's having a good time. Um, but yeah, I mean, if you look at, uh, they're stacking up some, some talent over the last couple of classes. Um, and I think it, when you think about how, you know, Gertrude's game kind of fits in, um, you know, with him and McNeely and, um, I would almost like, I was going to say done, but done. Like when you see him in person, he look he's more of a three, four, you know, might, might be a more of a three than a two. Um, but yeah, getting some, I think he fits in well with what they've got committed, you know, and with, you know, with the roster when he, when he joins, um, I think he's more of a combo guard. So I expect they'll, they'll be looking for a more of a true point uh, to kind of, take the helm behind Reese um, whenever he leaves or Kihei if he ever leaves. Um, yeah, I, I like his game a lot. Uh, I think he's a good compliment to what, what they have and, you know, McNeely and, and Bond and, um, and Dunn. And then obviously, you know, you got Trout who can shoot and then Buchanan who's committed. So yeah, that's, that's a lot of talent they've added for a, for a guy who's gotten, you know, first half who's gotten some grief from, from fans that were not landing any lately. That's, that's six pretty good ones in pretty short order. And the timing is kind of perfect too. Cause this is like, this is like a nice little spot to get a guy like that and sort of be able to evaluate going into your season, knowing what you've got coming down the pike. So then you can figure out how you really want to utilize your other spots. Right. Um, you know, I thought there were some, there were, there was an article that, that the mothership ran not too terribly long ago, actually about like, you know, Virginia needed to pick it up. Um, you know, in this cycle. And I always thought that was a little bit misguided um, in, from the sense that, like, not only was Buchanan a very highly sought-after player when they got him, um, but then, you know, if you look at sort of the way Virginia recruits, they're very much, you know, they are, this is the kind of recruitment that they, they, they typically win, right? Um, and given what they put together last class, you, you weren't, you weren't, they weren't going to go out there and sign, you know, bring in a bunch of like, you know, highly ranked guys across the board because they just don't have the playing time to sell. Right. But to get this kid to have the, the, the twosome they have right now and to be sort of where they are as a group, I mean, for September, that's a really good spot to be in. Um, so I think, you know, we've always talked about like the Tony is very much a bird in hand sort of recruiter and he seems to be better once he's got good players in the fold, because then he can really sort of like narrow the, the focus a little bit. Um, I think he's much better once he is, once he's able to like really make those individual sort of like relationships. I think Virginia is best served once Tony is 
is the one trying to close it out. Um, no, no shade intended at the other assistants. Please don't mishear me. I'm just saying that like Tony has a way of making the kids sort of feel like now is the time to commit. So when he, when he knows what he's got in the class and he doesn't have to keep sort of like spreading out, so to speak, it's like spreading out the, that, that capital, right. When he's able to focus in that, and he typically closes, I mean, I know people like to give the guy grief, but you know, it's pretty good at, at closing the, the guys he really wants. But um, I really, I mean, I, I, I think that, and I don't, and I know for some Virginia fans, this is going to make them sort of cringe or throw something, but like, I think that this kid could be what we all thought Casey Morcel would be. Um, but in a more sort of fluid, less um, kind of less stiff um, frame, right? Like I, I, I thought if you, if you watch some of his clips, like there's some similarities there. Um, I, I, Paul being Cardi compared it with Justin Anderson and I'm just like, my dude, no, no shade intended at the Gertrude kid. But I mean, Justin Anderson was kind of a physical freak of nature. Um, they don't build a lot like him. You know what I mean? But I, I think that this is a really nice get for, for UVA and certainly a kid that um, fits exactly with sort of what they're building. Ferber, why don't you take take us home and give us the last word on on this uh, commitment? Yeah, I mean, nice get, nice close. Um, getting him back on grounds twice um, or getting him on grounds twice, like nice job closing that out. And, um, yeah, I mean, it looks like they're going to have two back-to-back great classes or good classes, however you want to describe that. And that's awesome to see. And, you know, we'll see what they're going to do with the remaining spots, you know, what that looks like. And um happy to, to see both players. I was really intrigued by Gertrude in the summer, just because he had some defensive highlights that were kind of yeah, like mind blowing, like yeah, some crazy did. blocks and steals and stuff. And it seems like he really kind of came on. And I would say like, uh, you know, we never know how these are, are going to turn out. You know, you mentioned Casey Morsell. I mean, that's a guy that we all thought was going to be great here and didn't work out. Um, but I will say that, like, so far, I would I would have to say Tony's doing a really nice job of evaluating and getting offers out and kind of, like, getting on the right guys just based on, like, where those recruitments have gone, you know. Um, Gertrude, you know, they, they pulled the trigger pretty early. His rating went up. Um, and, you know, he got Kansas offer and all this other interest, and they, they kind of were able to – zero in on him Buchanan same thing you know before Gonzaga and all these other schools got involved they got involved and got him on grounds and, and got it done so TJ Power I mean they, that didn't work out but they were early in there and they gave themselves a shot right before things really went sideways and um, yeah I mean I think they've done a really nice job um, and uh, got two good players in this class and we'll see where they go from here but um, certainly good to see them kind of stack two two classes with really good players back to back yeah um, all right, that is a very good place to put a pin in it. This was a much longer show than we typically do during the regular season. So thank you very much for uh, hanging with us. If you're somebody who found the podcast through the website, thank you very much for giving us a listen. If you don't mind, look us up on all of the various podcast apps of choice. We should be there. And if we're not, let me know because uh, we should be. Now, if you're somebody who's found the podcast has not given us a look at the website yet, you can check us out at capscorner.com. Let's see. Right now, we got we got the story on on Gertrude Prick and UVA. We got the the three two one Dave's Cheers, Fears and Beers. At some point this this year, Dave, I'm gonna write that as Cheers, Fears and Bears, and I just apologize in advance when that eventually does happen. Say, hey man, this was the week, and so I can go edit it because at some point that is 100 percent gonna happen. 
Um, it just it feels like it should say Bears. Maybe I don't we know can why. A Baylor one weekend. <laughs> Cheers, fears, and bears. Um, all right, so we got stuff in the presser. We got the PFF grades, which you know, or, you know, make sure you uh, put the children to bed before you look at that because it's uh, it's not fit for um, for youngsters. Uh, the take two, the weekend wrap, all the fun things are there for you on the website. Uh, I want to thank My Perfect Franchise for their support of the website and of the show. You can visit myperfectfranchise.net for more information on how you can find freedom in your next venture and discover the perfect franchise for you. Again, I want to tell you, go to homefieldapparel.com tomorrow or as you listen to us today, um, new UVA stuff dropping, so you definitely want to give that a look. Um, and also, real quick, shout out to um, the Who's for St. Jude. If you haven't seen it, haven't heard, we're uh, trying to raise some money for Childhood Cancer Awareness Month and in partnership with uh, Ridley FM and St. Jude's Children's Research Hospital. So uh, hit the link that is in the podcast app of choice or in the content item for this show, and we greatly appreciate that. Uh, I want to thank, again, everybody for supporting the show. Thank Dave and Ferber again graciously of their time, as always. I very much appreciate all that they do. So for David Spence, Justin Ferber, I'm Brad Franklin, publisher of CavsCorner.com. Thanks for coming out. See you soon.